0: Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens.
1: The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I'm not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who was tweeting about Episcopalians before they were trending.
0: Nice. (laughs) Where were we that we had a conversation about Episcopalians on Twitter? We hung out sometime recently and you were discussing how cool Episcopalians are on Twitter.
1: Um, I follow some Episcopalians on Twitter. That's not... Like, I think they're cool, but that's not why they're trending. Why
0: are they trending on Twitter right now?
1: Because uh, Pete Buttigieg is a Episcopalian. Civilian. Oh, right. And everyone's like, what? Christians can be gay?
0: <laughs> and they're like, yeah, Episcopalians, man.
1: Um, yeah, they're one of, the, one of the groups that are down with it. There you go. And then there's, you know, a lot of further right wing Christians who are complaining that Episcopalians are not Christian enough. And that's what's all over Twitter. <laughs> Ugh, Twitter. <laughs> What a place.
0: What a place. (laughs) I'm glad I don't spend a ton of time on Twitter.
1: Most of my Twitter is great. Mostly it's just priests referring to me as beloved, and it's nice.
0: (laughs) That's adorable. (laughs) Because I have both the Sunday School Twitter account and my personal Twitter account on my phone, I figured out why I always accidentally reply to you on the Sunday School account, it's because when you tweet, the Sunday School account sends me a notification on my phone. But it comes from the Sunday School account, not from my personal account. So when I open it, it defaults into the Sunday School account. Which is sure. why it always looks like you're liking yourself on Twitter. Yeah, when it's really me Just liking so you on Twitter. <laughs> I have to remember to like go back and go into my account and then switch it. It's a whole thing.
1: Yeah, I'm sure everyone is very interested in the inner workings of... Our Twitter. <laughs> I'm
0: sure. Also, sometimes I just don't have any idea what you're talking about on Twitter. It's so far above my head. Oh, uh, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, religion Twitter is just not my world.
1: Oh, man. It's it's the best version of Twitter.
0: I don't know. I live in D&D Twitter, which is a pretty good place in Twitter. Sure. Okay, enough about Twitter. I don't think that's actually what we're talking about today. What are we talking about today?
1: Oh, man. What if it was?
0: I'd be surprised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is not the podcast for that. This is the podcast for Maundy Thursday.
0: I don't even know what that is.
1: Some people call it Holy Thursday.
0: Okay, is this is our, like, Holy Week is coming, this is a weird part of Holy Week you might not know? Or is this a whole different shebang?
1: If, if you do Holy Week, it's probably a thing you know.
0: Okay, well um. I don't do Holy Week, so <laughs> if it's not Good Friday or Easter Sunday, I probably don't know about it. Also, like, Fat Tuesday and Ash Wednesday, but those have already happened.
1: Right, those are not part of Holy Week.
0: No. But they are days with days of the week attached to them.
1: Yes. If you are listening to this episode on the day it comes out, Holy Thursday or Monday Thursday will have been yesterday. Great. (laughs) (laughs) So timely. Um, Yeah, it's the first day in the Triduum, which is the three days leading up to Easter. Sure. So the word Monday comes from the word mandatum, which is Latin for commandment. Okay. And this refers to the commandment that Jesus gives his disciples in the story that is commemorated on this night.
0: Uh, so that night commemorates a day in which Jesus commanded something of his disciples.
1: Yeah. Is this of... the Last Supper? Yes. Great. All right, now I know where we are, sort of. In all four Gospels, there is a final meal or Last Supper that... Jesus spends with his 12 apostles. hmm In the Synoptic Gospels, he holds up bread and says, this is my body, and holds up wine and says, this is my blood. Great. That's Eucharist.
0: Yes, we got that one.
1: Synoptic Gospels, uh, just for a refresher: Matthew, Mark, and Luke.
0: Yeah. Those are, yes. And then John is the fourth one. Yes. And it's not Synoptic because it has a lot of other things in
1: it. Yeah, it's... Likely different source material mm-hmm. is the reason we group Matthew, Mark, and Luke is because of the similar sources that they are yeah. based off of.
0: Because they mostly tell the story of, like, Jesus's death and resurrection, right?
1: All four of them yeah. do that. But mostly. those the
0: synoptic ones sort of, like, do it a lot more similarly than John does. Yeah, they're more similar. Yeah. Cool. Alright, so he does the, like, this is how Eucharist is. Bread, wine, blood, body. Right.
1: We're not going to focus on the synoptics. We're going to focus on what happens at the Last Supper in John. Oh, great. I don't know why. We always end up doing a lot more John things on this podcast. I don't
0: know. (laughs) Hopefully we'll have many, many years to talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke.
1: Oh, man. Are we going to do this for many, many years? I don't know. I'm going to run out of ideas.
0: Not if we have three other Gospels we've barely talked about.
1: The story of... The Last Supper from John. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was just before Passover, and Jesus and the Twelve Apostles were in Jerusalem. Jesus knew that his time to leave the world was drawing near, and he wanted to express his love for the people who had been with him on his journey. They had just finished eating their meal, Mm -hmm. so we're not even focusing on the actual meal. Okay. We're just at the meal. The
0: Last Supper has happened. Yes. I have the, like, painting in my head now.
1: Yes, for some reason, no one sat on the other side of the table. It's
0: all right. It doesn't matter.
1: Whatever. (laughs) They finish eating. Jesus gets up and takes off his outer garments and ties a towel around his waist. Okay. He pours water into a basin and he gets down on the floor and he starts to wash the disciples' feet. Cool. After washing their feet, he dries the feet with the towel that he's got around his waist.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. So he's going down the line one by one. It's very convenient. They're all on this one side of the table. That's
0: why they're all on the same side of the table.
1: Yeah, that's... We figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> Good job, folks.
0: Yeah. Why did they all sit on one side of the table last supper? Because it made the feet washing easier.
1: Exactly. So, Jesus gets to Peter, and he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus says, yes. Don't... <laughs> you You don't get it now, but you'll understand later why I'm doing this. And Peter says, no, you're not going to wash my feet. What? Because it's weird that this guy that he admires is getting down on the floor and washing his feet.
0: Yeah, but all the other guys let him do it.
1: Yeah, but Peter is stubborn. Okay.
0: Stubborn is a rock. Peter's being contrary in here.
1: Yeah. Stubborn is a rock. That's why he's named Rock.
0: Oh, okay.
1: That's what Peter means, rock.
0: I didn't know that. There we go.
1: <laughs> so, so Peter's being Peter. Yeah, Peter's being Peter. Jesus says, unless I wash you, you'll have no part with me. And very quickly, Peter changes his mind. And says, in that case, please wash my feet and my hands and my head too.
0: Great. (laughs) He's going all in.
1: Yeah. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Feet is fine. (laughs) Those who've had a bath need only to wash their feet, for their whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you, Jesus says with some serious side eye. Dun, dun, dun. It's because Judas was in the room. Yes, I figured that was true.
0: (laughs) At some point we have to do Judas because I have a lot of questions and confusion about (laughs) Judas.
1: Yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. We, we might do that at some point.
0: Yeah, I, like, know that Judas is a thing, but I don't know all of the weird details, and I would like to know more.
1: more than that, he was a person.
0: Yes. <laughs> he was a weird thing and also a person. Okay.
1: So, <laughs> Jesus throws some shade.
0: Yes, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> Implies that maybe he knows something has happened.
1: Oh, he definitely knows.
0: Shady, shady, shady.
1: Jesus finishes watching Peter's feet. And he gets up, puts his outer garment back on, and sits back at the table. And then he asks them, do you understand why I did that? And then explains to them, you, <laughs> you call me Lord and Teacher, don't get me wrong, you should definitely call me that, because that's what I am. Yes. But now your Lord and Teacher has washed your feet, you should do it for each other. Follow my example.
0: Great. So now is everybody washing everyone's feet?
1: Not in this story. Okay. Okay. But we'll get to that. Great.
0: But, like, is he asking everyone to right now wash more feet? Or is he just, like, reminding everyone that, like, being of service and being humble is important?
1: (laughs) Depends who you ask.
0: Okay. (laughs) I wasn't sure if he was, like, initiating a feet-washing conga line here.
1: I mean, not in this moment. Okay. So it's probably that he said he wants you to take care of each other and serve each other. Okay. Because he does follow it up with... No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Cool. So, most likely, speaking broadly. Yes. But that doesn't stop us from doing exactly what he said. Everyone takes it literally. <laughs> uh, yay, biblical literalism. <laughs> yeah. No, not really, though, guys. No, it's weird. <laughs> Don't do it. Um, so, (laughs) foot washing. It was a common practice at the time. Okay. This was not completely out of left field.
0: Well, we talked about ceremonial washing jugs when we did wedding at Cana. Yeah. So there was some feet washing happening there.
1: And this goes beyond even ceremonial, because at the time, it was a common display of hospitality. The roads were dusty, and people were mostly wearing sandals. So their feet got dirty. Sure, that makes sense. And so usually it would be the wife of the host or servants would wash the feet of the guests.
0: Okay, so it was more, it was like a hospitality thing.
1: Right. But the thing that made it unusual here is that Jesus, as a person of honor, would not be the one doing it. Okay. So it's upending social norms.
0: Jesus seemed good at that.
1: Yeah, that was kind of his whole thing.
0: Yeah. I'm going to be similar, but just different enough that I'm curious.
1: Exactly. (laughs) You think this is going to be normal, but I'm going to make it weird.
0: He also loves a metaphor.
1: Oh, that's true. I don't know why everyone is like, but did he mean to do that literally? No, it's always a metaphor. He
0: loves a metaphor.
1: (laughs) Foot washing, normal thing at the time. Uh, Mentioned by our buddy Paul. He mentions feet washing as... An example of a good deed that should be done by widows to prove that they're worthy of receiving aid. Okay. He was probably not talking about it as a ritual in remembrance of Jesus. He was probably just saying, if a woman is an upstanding woman who did good things like washing her guests' feet, we should definitely put her on this list of widows to receive aid. Cool. All I right. mean, we'll we'll set aside the like weird value judgments there, yeah. but he mentioned it. Normal thing.
0: We're trying to normalize it, is the point.
1: Yeah, uh, well, I'm I'm trying yeah. to...
0: Explain how, like, average this act yeah. was, as opposed to, like, surprise, foot bath. Right. Lots of people were getting their feet washed by other people.
1: Yeah. Then we get into, like, the early third century, and Tertullian mentions foot washing, but he mentions it more in the ritualistic sense. Okay. So we've built up, by this time, a remembrance of jesus and like doing what he said in this literal sense
0: okay so jesus washes everyone's feet as metaphor and then goes on and dies and gets reborn and does all the jesus things and you know by the third century everyone is symbolically washing people's feet in remembrance of jesus and not as much following through on the metaphor he was trying to prove
1: with the feet washing well some of the people might have been following through on the
0: okay but they were also they kept the feet washing bit yeah we were also doing this Okay. Um,
1: and I don't know if people were still regularly doing this, doing non symbolic feed washing by the third century.
0: But, but. The, the physical gesture that came with the metaphor stuck.
1: Yeah. The quote from Tertullian is I must recognize Christ both as he reclines on a couch and when he presents a basin for the feet of his disciples. He also compares the towel that Jesus had around his waist. To ritual garments worn by the cult of Osiris, which was probably as a way to defend this practice and, like, help spread it. Interesting. To people who weren't already Christians. Okay,
0: that makes sense.
1: So people who came from Gentile backgrounds, I think, is what he was was Mm. trying to be like, hey.
0: This doesn't feel that weird. Also do this. Okay.
1: Get on board with us. Otherwise, it would have been weird for them to talk about pagan rituals
0: sure okay that makes sense then
1: that was what my source said is that it was probably to get other people to be like hey come do this
0: all right trying to familiarize it for the for the non-christians at the time
1: yeah okay or christians who were not jewish sure it was also mentioned at the council of elvira in 300 ce people who were baptized were supposed to have their feet washed also by lay people though okay And this was a common practice in Gaul, Milan, and Ireland, but it was not really known about in Rome or in the East. Interesting. Yeah, so it was just kind of...
0: Localized. Yeah. Some people were doing the feet washing thing.
1: Right, and I thought it was cool because it was a way that they involved lay people in baptism. Yeah. Which is neat and not true for a lot of church history.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. That's nice. More community-based, I think.
1: Yeah. We really start picking up mentions of this practice in the 4th century. Athanasius of Alexandria, a 4th century bishop and theologian, said, The bishop shall often eat with the priests in the church, that he may see their behavior, whether they do eat in quiet or in the fear of God. He shall stand there and serve them. If they be weak, he shall wash their feet with his own hands. And if he is not able to do this, he shall cause the archpriest or him that is after him to wash their feet. Suffer not the commandment of the Savior to depart from you. For all this ye shall be answerable, that they likewise may see the lowliness of the Savior in you. So, he is both washing the feet and gets the metaphor. Yeah. So, cool. Good. Good for you. Right on Athanasius. Keep it up. And then we keep going. Uh, Augustine also mentions ritual foot washing as a way to show humility. Mm -hmm. He also talks about an issue on Holy Thursday that I thought was kind of funny. Apparently, it was custom for people to take a bath on Holy Thursday. Okay. To prepare for Easter. Sure.
0: Back when people were not bathing all the time. Right. That was a good, like, it's Holy Thursday, better time to take our, like, twice yearly bath or quarterly bath or whatever.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I guess they were busy on the Other other days friday and saturday
0: sure i mean i i suspect if it was holy week they were probably doing a lot of things yeah
1: so they were they were getting ready for their baths but it was seen as at odds with fasting if you try to take a bath like you shouldn't be doing both weird i don't know why okay but the two were not compatible so to solve this problem eucharist was celebrated twice on that day huh once in the morning for the people who were not going to fast, and then again in the evening for the people who did fast.
0: Interesting. <laughs> what a way to get around that.
1: Yeah, and this was done, but apparently not popular. So it was done away with by 692 at the Council of Trullo.
0: Okay. I mean, that makes sense. It feels a little excessive.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about it before in the Eastern Church... They only do Eucharist once a day. Mm -hmm. So this was probably seen as like, no, don't do that.
0: Yeah. Too much.
1: Yeah, exactly. But yeah, at one point people were choosing when they went to church based on whether they took a bath or not. Cute. (laughs) Good for those people. Yeah. Also in the fourth century, this was mentioned by uh, John Chrysostom and Ambrose of Milan, two other theologians. Cool. Cool. I'm not going to get into specific quotes of theirs, but they were also bringing up similar Mm -hmm. ideas. Around the 5th century, the practice of consecrating holy oil for the whole year was added to the celebrations on Thursdays. Cool. So now we have feet washing and
0: consecrating oil.
1: Yeah. And this makes sense because you need the oil to baptize new members of the church, which was...
0: I think you could do on Easter, right? Yeah. A lot of people get baptized on Easter.
1: Yeah, usually it's uh, at the Easter Vigil. Okay, So cool. the, the nighttime? Nighttime on Saturday night, right before cool. Easter.
0: Well then, yeah, get, getting ramped up for more baptisms. Nice to have a new fresh stock of consecrated oil.
1: Yeah. Gotta be careful, because the oil can have things grown in it, I've learned. That's gross. Yeah, so you gotta refresh that oil.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gotta keep it up to date.
1: Yeah. A more formal version of the practice of washing feet was adopted first by Benedictine monks, this is found in the Rule of St. Benedict, which was written around 530C, but we're okay. not exactly sure. Interesting. And the Rule of St. Benedict is a 73-chapter book of rules for being a Benedictine monk.
0: Good. Is that, like, an official document that, like, they follow as Benedictine mon- monks, then?
1: I don't know how similar to the original rules, like, what they follow today is. Okay. But...
0: It was at one point.
1: Yeah, it definitely was what they were doing for a long time.
0: Okay. I wasn't sure if it was, like, uh, vintage flight attendant handbooks that are, like, woefully out of step now, but, like, definitely were the rules at one point. I'm
1: sure there's some weird things in here that they avoid.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Like, they're probably not doing this one, actually. Though, I don't know. I'm not friends with any Benedictine monks.
0: Gotta work on that.
1: (laughs) I guess. What the rule said is that whoever was the cook for the week Should wash the feet of all of the other monks on Saturday.
0: On Saturday?
1: Yeah. And this was every Saturday.
0: Okay. That makes more sense. So So. part of the cook's duties was also to do the feet washing.
1: Yeah. And it was a, in addition to the actual service that you were doing by cooking for the rest of the community, Mm -hmm. you were doing this ritual practice of service. Cool. And also the abbot should wash the feet of any guests.
0: That also makes sense. Yeah. A little bit more of that hospitality thing, like back in the old days. Yeah,
1: exactly. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, this formalized practice moved from the monastic communities to the wider church, both east and west in the 7th century. Okay. At the 17th Synod of Toledo, all bishops and priests in a position of superiority were commanded under threat of excommunication to wash the feet of those subject to them.
0: Okay. Now, does that mean like clergy subject to them or like their parishioners?
1: In the case of priests, I would say definitely lay people, unless it meant deacons. Sure. But somebody under you. Okay. Probably only meaning men. Okay, sure. Just based on what I know about the church. That's how things
0: went back then?
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it might have been like the bishops washed the feet of the priests, the priests washed the feet of the deacons, maybe lay people.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Still not a specific day that I'm aware of. It was just a thing that they were told to do.
0: So, like, it needed to happen. Yeah. You couldn't be like, I'm a bishop, I'm too cool for this.
1: Yes. And then we finally get the practice of foot washing, specifically on the Thursday before Easter in the 12th century.
0: Okay, so now we're back to sort of how things look these days.
1: Yeah. And at this point, it became custom for the Pope to wash the feet of 12 subdeacons after mass, then 13 poor men's feet after dinner. Okay. Not during the actual service. All right. After the service, and then he ate, and then he and washed more, more feet.
0: feet. Yeah. A little like a la Jesus washing people's feet.
1: Yeah. And I'm just thinking this. I hope he washed uh, his hands after he washed the feet, but before he ate.
0: I'm sure he does.
1: I don't know. This is the 12th century. Yeah, I don't know. Nobody they, was washing they didn't believe in washing <laughs> didn't believe in hand washing. So, ooh. Yeah. Uh, around the same time, 12th century... Royalty also started performing the same practice. Okay. Rulers would wash the feet of beggars in royal courts, and they would sometimes also give alms to the poor on these days. Good. Uh, in England, they still give alms to the poor on Maundy Thursday, but the princes are not washing people's feet. No.
0: They're just doing the almsgiving.
1: Yeah. Okay. So in Spain and Austria, they washed the feet of the poor up into the beginning of the 20th century. Wow.
0: Good for them. Do you think that the royals do less of it now because they're not seen as much of a religious position as they were back when more people were like, you are anointed by God? I don't know. Like, I understand that the Queen of England is also technically the head of the Church of England in that, like, weird, this is why we have a Church of England thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, now that she doesn't, I don't think, like, push the God is the reason that I am the Queen of England thing quite so hard. If it's less that she participates in those sort of, like, specifically religious rituals.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I still like it as a metaphor for serving your fellow people.
0: For sure. And I think that, like, it's beneficial in that way. But I wonder if one of the reasons that they've stopped doing it is because I feel like feet washing has, like, a super religious connotation. Could be. And I don't know. I feel like, at least in England, the current church is a lot more secular. Or at least that's sort of the vibe I get.
1: You mean the monarchy is yeah. more secular? Yeah, that's okay. what I
0: mean. The monarchy is more secular in their, like, the way they handle themselves. Yeah, I don't know.
1: I I, I feel like know. that's...
0: David, chime in here. <laughs> don't actually, but, like...
1: I don't know that he would know any better than we would. Maybe some people who yeah. grew uh, up in the UK would know our, better.
0: Uh, our Welsh contingent over here. Hi, guys. Uh, <laughs> you've met both Brian and I probably at this point. Uh, Send us some emails about how secular or non-secular the monarchy feels to you guys.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious. Royal weddings are a big old religious thing, but...
0: Well, yeah. And also, we haven't had a coronation in a long, long time.
1: That's true. But... Anyway. Getting back to Monty Thursday. We're back. In 1956, the Roman Catholic Church changed the rubric for the foot washing to be 12 men only and to happen during Mass, and it's pretty much been the same since okay. then.
0: Was it only men still?
1: Well, funny you should ask. That's my next point. Ooh. Great <laughs> minds. In 2013, Pope Francis made news by washing the feet of women and Muslims at a juvenile detention center in Rome.
0: On Monday Thursday? Yes. Ooh.
1: And, oh, Francis. Yeah, this was the first time that a Pope had done that. Okay. I mean, I'm pretty sure that individual churches had been doing it for longer, mm-hmm. but that was big news because he did it.
0: Yeah. But that those weren't during the service then.
1: They were like, a he made a special visit. Well, no, it was part of the Maundy Thursday service. Okay. is He picks people whose feet he's going to wash. Every and they day. Like,
0: bring them in like special guests to the State of the Union?
1: I think he said mm-hmm. mass at the Juvenile Detention okay. Center. I don't know. Cool. But yeah, it would be part of the the, the mass. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Um, and it was not until 2016 that the Roman Missal was edited to officially allow women to have their feet washed as part of this.
0: I'm rolling my eyes hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, better late than never.
1: Yeah. And I have been to churches prior to 2016 where women's feet were washed. I would hope so. So that was... Just a formality at that point.
0: But still, the fact that it took them that long.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm not surprised.
0: I'm not surprised. I'm just disappointed.
1: (laughs) So the general foot washing is the priest washes 12 people's feet Mm -hmm. to represent the 12 apostles. In Orthodox cathedrals, it's the bishop washing the feet of 12 priests. Okay. In Catholic churches, it's more often... a priest washing the feet of 12 lay people. Mm -hmm. At one church I went to, it was the priest washed the feet of 12 people who were outstanding members of the community and they said a little thing about them. Also, it was like a little honor. Yeah. That's cute. And then those 12 people washed the hands of everyone else.
0: Also cute. Yeah.
1: Just because they had decided it was Mm -hmm. difficult to try to do all of those feet.
0: That's a lot of feet. And feet are logistically harder to wash than hands.
1: That's true. But I've also been to another church where they just had stations up at the front and you would just come up and everybody would wash everybody else's feet.
0: That's also cool.
1: Yeah. Was- I guess
0: that just means on Monday Thursday, like, if you're a human who wears female-presenting clothing, you can't, like, wear pantyhose on Monday Thursday.
1: Yeah. Usually, if you go to a church where you're gonna get your feet washed, you've been warned. You're aware.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I just would worry about undergarments.
1: <laughs> yes. Hopefully, someone has told you ahead of time if you're yeah. getting your feet washed.
0: I Yes, I would like to know that in advance. <laughs>
1: well... Don't I have a surprise? Oh, God. No, I'm kidding. We're not watching Mm it.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: I definitely thought about it. Of course.
0: But uh, this does remind me, one thing that we didn't get to talk about in our labyrinth walking (laughs) episode was that uh, the labyrinth that had been brought to Brian's church needed to be walked on only in socks. Once the weather gets warm, I very rarely wear socks, because I own a lot of shoes that you just don't need socks for, and I, of course, had come in wearing a pair of shoes without socks, and I was the only person there who had to use loner socks in order to participate in the labyrinth.
1: Yeah, we did have a basket of loner socks. They were clean. It was They fine. were
0: clean loner socks, but <laughs> I did have to wear loner socks during that experience, <laughs> which felt not quite as awkward as if someone had been like, surprise, you're getting your feet washed today, but was up there, and I did not appropriately prepare my feet for this activity.
1: I was not aware of the loner socks thing ahead of time, or else I probably would have told you to wear socks, That's which fine. would have confused you even I would have more. been
0: really, really confused. So, um, I guess people usually wear socks. But. Anyway.
1: Yeah, usually you're, you're going to know mm-hmm. if you need to have easy off shoes. Yeah. And then I was just going to say the last variation that I've come across just in my personal experience is I've been to a church that has tables where people share a meal Okay. And one person at each table washes the feet of everybody else. Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
0: Nice. Yeah, I think that like physically washing feet sounds like a little icky, but once you think about it, it's really not that icky.
1: I'm not sure if this was already clear or not. We're not using soap.
0: Is it just like you dunk your feet in a bowl of water and then someone pours water over the top of them and drives them off? Yes. Yes. It's very, like, straightforward, basic feet washing.
1: Yeah, and then you dry the person's feet. Yes. That's the most contact you have with the feet is drying.
0: Yeah, you pour some water on them and then you dry them off. Yes. Okay. You're not, like, scrubbing. No, you're not, like, getting in there. Yeah.
1: Hopefully this person's feet are already clean.
0: They're probably cleaner now than they were when
1: Jesus was washing washing his apostles' feet. Oh, yeah. I'm sure his apostles were nasty.
0: Yeah. He actually probably (laughs) had to, like, get in there and do some scrubbing.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, that is, that's what I've got for Monday Thursday.
0: Awesome. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll come back for some fun. Sounds good. And we're back.
1: And now it's time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they are the patron of. I'm excited. Who do you got for us this week? This week, we have another, not a saint. Okay. Uh He's just blessed. Just blessed. Yeah. Okay. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> oh, uh, God. <laughs> that's what the cool kids are saying, right? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, this week, we have blessed Andrew of Segni. Okay. He was born in 1240 in Italy to a powerful noble family. His uncle was Pope Alexander IV. Okay. Okay. And he later had a nephew, Pope Boniface VIII. So, so many popes. Yeah, very well-connected Italian family. Cool. Oh, his family's connections should have made it very easy for him to live a life of luxury. But... But, as a young man, he decided to renounce the vanity of the world. He left his father's castle and joined the newly founded Franciscan Convent of St. Lawrence. Okay. Once he got there, he found a solitary grotto... And after getting the permission of his superiors, decided to make his home there.
0: Wow, so he, like, went all in.
1: Oh, yeah. He didn't just go- Become a
0: monk. He became a monk who lived alone in a grotto. Yes. Solitary grotto monk.
1: Oh, even more. Even worse.
0: Oh, great. I can't wait.
1: This cavern was very narrow and had a low ceiling. And Andrew was very tall. (laughs) So he either had to kneel or bend over anytime he was inside. Amazing. In spite of this inconvenience, he spent almost his entire life there in contemplation of heavenly things. During his life, he also struggled almost constantly against demons that attacked him. Though, with God's help, he always won out. Good for him. He also spent much of his time studying scripture and theology. He was the author of a treatise on The Veneration of the Blessed Virgin that was praised by his contemporaries, but unfortunately has been lost. Oh. In 1295, his uncle, Pope Alexander IV, visited him and tried to make him a cardinal, but he refused out of humility.
0: I was going to say, he'd probably have to leave his grotto.
1: He probably would.
0: And he wouldn't want that?
1: No. No. Then later, his nephew, who at that point had become Pope Boniface VIII, also tried to make him a cardinal. Still too fancy? Again, he refused. Boniface was so impressed that he told his uncle he wished to outlive him so he could make him a saint. Did it work? Well, I mean, he's not a saint.
0: Oh. (laughs) But he's still blessed.
1: He is. Boniface might have had something to do with that. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) In the last years of his life, Andrew performed many miracles and gained the gift of prophecy. An example of one of these miracles is once when he was too ill to eat his usual food, a friend tried to help him by bringing him a plate of roasted birds. But Andrew was very sad by seeing that these birds had been killed. So he made the sign of the cross over them. And they came back to life? And the birds came back to life. <sighs> Did and, they get
0: their feathers back and all of that?
1: Uh, they chirped and flew away in joy, so presumably. Probably? Okay. <laughs> Andrew died of natural causes at the age of 62. Which is a nice long life for a guy who lives in a cave. Yeah, not, not bad. No, 13th century, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take 62. So, Shannon... What is Andrew the patron of?
0: Is he the patron saint of birds? He's not. Um. Oh. Oh. Is he the patron saint of humble people? Or humility? He is not. Um. Oh. Oh. Is he the patron saint of anything?
1: He is the patron saint of one thing.
0: Which is? Prados? A-
1: against Demons.
0: Amazing. I guess he did fight a lot of demons.
1: Constantly. He constantly was fighting demons.
0: Now, here's a question for you. And this is the, like, non-religious skeptic brain in me. Mm-hmm. When we're talking about fighting demons, is he probably actually, like, schizophrenic and just, like, having a series of schizophrenic episodes?
1: That's definitely one thing that it could have been, yeah. Because
0: that's, like, what my mind thinks that this must be.
1: It could have been. I would probably lean that way. I don't like to roll out like, sure. entirely.
0: Like, in a universe where like real demons are really attacking people he very well could be being attacked by those demons but like if he was if he was alive in this time would we just have like locked him up in an asylum as opposed to putting him in a grotto and claiming he was miraculous
1: i i mean i hope we're not locking him anyone up that's in true. an asylum but like would
0: he be institutionalized as opposed
1: to canonized <laughs> probably more likely yeah Okay. Or maybe he would have gotten help and, you know, would have been all right. Sure.
0: Great. I don't know. Yeah. I just, like, some of these saints are just, like, people who deeply believe in their faith. Mm -hmm. And some of them have, like, super, supernatural experiences. And I, like, sometimes I wonder, like, do we undervalue the supernatural experiences that people in our contemporary time are having because we think of them as something not supernatural?
1: That's definitely a possibility. Like, do
0: we need, like, more devout people in caves fighting demons. Oh man. In
1: 2018. That sounds like a superhero origin story and I'm here for it. Good. <laughs> but yeah, even even the Vatican is far more skeptical of miracles these yeah. days. They have people to look for scientific explanations of them.
0: Yeah. Which I'm sure makes some people feel really strong about the miracles that must exist
1: mm-hmm. because
0: they've been like backed up by all these people. But also, does it take a little bit of the miraculous nature of the universe out now that we have to let go of all the science and we have to prove it with science and we can't just be like, look at this cool thing that happened. It must have been God.
1: I don't know. I it could go either way. I mean, I think I'm one of those people who thinks that science can be miraculous.
0: Oh, yeah. Uh, Today, pictures of a black hole came became real. That's true. If that's, that's not cool. miraculous, I don't know what is. That's pretty neat. That's, it's a photo of the inside of a black hole. <laughs> I mean, it looks exactly what you would hope that the inside of a black hole looks like. But still, whoa. Yeah. That's 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 about as miraculous as it comes, I think. Yeah,
1: definitely very cool.
0: Way way more miraculous than I don't know anything else. Awesome. Well, I want to shout out a couple of listeners who have sent us emails recently. Uh, thank you to Katie for her email about heresies at Bible college and proof that in fact they are talked about like after-school specials and also maybe some people who named their child Athanasius. We can only hope. I really hope. In my mind, regardless of what happens, this child is named Athanasius. uh and also thanks to our friend alex for a really detailed email about art history as related to some cool religious subjects we've talked about including actually strangely relevant to today's episode because he talks a lot about a painting of tinturona's the last supper uh that he got to see in dc as well as a really cool painting of the ark of the covenant very cool uh which is hopefully
1: it was spatting flames
0: i'll send you the picture it's really awesome (laughs) So thank you guys um, for that.
1: Oh, and I just want to clarify, Katie is not the one naming a child Athanasius. Correct.
0: <laughs> thank you for clarifying. <laughs> this my, was an
1: overheard conversation.
0: <laughs> which is why we can just assume that the child's name was Athanasius. If you want to write to us about naming your child after a theologian or anything else for that matter, you can get to us at Sunday sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at school number four heathens. If you like the show, tell a friend or rate and review us on iTunes. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for the music on today and all of our episodes. And thank you to David Griffin for editing this episode, for making our logo, and for being the only person who consistently Snapchats me ever. That's all I've got for today. Amen?
1: Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod.